Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTontis. I am bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm rocking the floor in the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Well, actually, I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. Can't say Oxford, Mississippi today, Ramsey. Ramsey. Well, <laughs> you you're actually cl- you're actually back home for a week. Man, I'm I'm I've been home and uh just it's that time of year and gosh, I'm just in my element, man. I you know, I, I was so good to be home for a long time. Uh, I think I was home for six weeks and you know, down to Africa and had a just unbelievable time. Home for seven days and it was it was long enough, man. I'm ready to roll and Argentina's on fire and I've got some great clients I'm joining and we got a lot of projects going on and I'm I'm about fired up, man. It's just my time of year. And do you know tomorrow Friday is the first day of summer. It's already a hundred some odd degrees outside Mississippi with the heat index and and all I can think is, man, it ain't gonna be a hundred degrees duck season somewhere. And I, I I've had enough of it. A week was plenty. A week was plenty. I'd be Time about to go to duck too. season. Now Africa on the other hand, that's a pretty warm hunt. And I don't know what I barely remember doing a podcast with you, me, Jake Ryan. We've been, we've been, it, it, that was a, that was a hard hunt in terms of, uh, burning, burning, you know, making hay while the sun shines. We were up at three thirty, four o'clock. We were in the field, uh, before the sun came up, decoy set, go to action. And on that particular day we caught you, we, we were transferring to go do Upland to another province. And man, it was 10 o'clock and we were talking about it at breakfast the next morning. We were all three laying in bed talking to you. Ryan said he almost dozed off, and uh, and and I man, something hit me. I don't know what. I had a forty-eight forty-eight hour, uh, forty-eight hour something get hold of me, and I was man, I was green around the gills talking to you. But but it was rocky, you know. I I just never get tired of of you know this part of it. It's like it's like being a gold panner. You know, like being a gold digger, uh, the California gold rush, and, you, and you're always sifting for nuggets and trying to, you know, find better and hit the – Africa was it. Africa was it, – it, it far exceeded my greatest expectations. I, I'd done my diligence. I'd been working on this project with these two guys for, for a couple of years, and still it just it just greatly exceeded my expectations. And, and, and for my for, – I've got, I've got a subset of clients that are all about species, all about – species bucket list birds and this is their hunt there's over a dozen species ready to roll and then i've got guys that just want to go have a good time and vacation and pull the trigger and see new country 
and it's all that and more. It, it, it was just a, a really great trip. And, and if you may remember, I had a few goals going down there. One, I want to shoot that Cape Shoveler. I got him. But now I got that. Man, you know, me and Ryan made a big deal about the World Spoonie Slam. We both got it on the same day. And uh, and so we hit hit I hit that lick. And, uh, in fact, I got all the birds in that genus now, you know. And and then there was a, a another bird, and it's really kind of a they, – they call it a brown duck. And it's really pretty much a brown duck. And no, 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 no frills, nothing to it. A little bit – just imagine a dark brown hen rosy bill. What's called a southern poacher. And I, and I love to shoot rosy bills, and I love to shoot those red-crested poachers. And we, we managed to get into those and uh, such that – the next place, you know, I, I didn't even, I passed on them. We, we, we got them and uh, we shot just about all the species. There were a couple I I didn't close the deal on. That'll have to wait till next time. But, you know, there's worse things than having to go back to Africa to close the deal on a couple of birds. But the third one I really wanted to get my hands on was that little, that little African pygmy goose. And Rocky, it's like holding a quarter pounder in your hand. It's so tiny. It's about the size of a green wing. Um, technically, it's a perching duck, but they call it a pygmy goose. And weighs about eight or nine ounces. And they're not like, like a lot of these species we were checking. The the, the yellow bills are just like mallards back home. The red bill teal, everywhere you go. They're, they're just, every habitat where there's water, you see those two species. Um, Egyptian geese, dime a dozen, they're everywhere near agriculture. But when you start going after some of these birds, like the whiteback duck or especially this pygmy goose, they're highly specialized. Now consider this, that little pygmy goose, that little pygmy goose, side of a, I'm, I'm telling you, it's the side of a Big Mac sitting in your hand. He's so small. He His, his, his habitat is lily pads. Now just think about that. I'm in freaking Africa. Fifteen inches of rain. It, it it looks like like everything you've ever seen on every National Geographic. It, it's sand and cactus and acacia bush and you know everything you'd expect in a country that gets about a foot of rain a year in, in an average year. But this bird specializes in lily pads, and we had to drive about two hours from camp one morning. And it turned out, Jake and I were talking about this, it turned out to be like the one defining day of the whole great experience we had. But this one day, because the, the hostess, uh, the, the, the lady that cooked and kind of ran the lodge, she said, oh, y'all are going to the heart of Zululand tomorrow. And it just didn't really strike me, you know. So we drove through Africa, and as we were driving, we were looking at over this great big valley. I mean, it's like I could see Joburg from there. It was so high, this ridge. And my host says, that over there is such and such reserve. It's a, it, you know, it's a lot of private land holdings. And uh, it's got the highest leopard density in all of Zululand because it's closed. You know, so, and that's where, that's their habitat. And that's where they are. And there's plenty of cattle and sheep to feed on. And, uh, but, you know, sadly enough, more leopards are dying in Zulu land than ever before because there's no value in them. So when the farmer sees them, he kills them so he doesn't eat his goats. And uh, then we, we drove and uh, kept on driving, kept on driving. We started going up this big mountain, and we, I started seeing like a few 
like trucks parked on the side of the road, you know, just on the right of way. If we got closer and closer, there was a rock in the road, and there was a stick in the road, and another rock, and more rocks, and we get up to the top, and there's kind of a line of cars, a little chaos going on, and there was a village that didn't have any water, and the protest, man, it's like they dragged a whole mountain full of stones and put in the road and built a barrier with trees and humanity. I'm like, oh, boy. Uh, you know, but you think about it, man. They ain't got no water. None. And their government ain't, I'm being facetious here, super efficient like the American government. It's way third world government. So they just did what they could to get attention, to try to get some water to the village. So back down the mountain we go. And my host stops and gets gas and asks for directions. And he said, all right, guys, I've never been this way. It's going to be an adventure for all of us. And Rocky was in an adventure. We had to go up through another mountain pass, and I guarantee you those roads hadn't ever seen a a, a, a plow or a road grader because it was all it, it, they ain't seen a road grader because it was all stone. It, it, it was like I remember one time Anita and I back in college took a famous shortcut over a pass in Colorado. It looked like a good idea until we were right in the middle of a boulder field. You know, I could get out and walk quicker than I was driving my truck across. And once you were there, you were stuck. You, you might as well go forward because there wasn't no going back. You know, you were stuck. It was where you were. That's what it was like going through this boulder field. I mean, you just unbelievable. And and, and you could tell the folks that were looking at us had never seen three white tourists come through. You just tell. And so that put us about two hours behind. And the scouting report, because to find these pygmy geese, the guy had deployed some professional hunters who had de em employed some villagers to go out and scout and look and find, and the report was there were two pairs, four birds, on a mile and a half sloop, and he'd seen them every morning in the same place at 8 o'clock. Well, we don't get there till 10. We walked and we walked, and it was so wild because up top was acacia and thorns and cacti and sand, and we walked down in that old oxbow, Around the bank of it, it was like being in Mississippi. It was, of course, it was hotter than Blue Blaze. It's like what outside. It was hot. It was 90 degrees. It was humid. There was coffee weed. There were cuckleburrs. It's just like walking around Willowbrake this time of year, you know, except it's a big lily pad lake. And we're, we'd walk, we'd stop, we'd glass, we'd walk a little bit and stop. We spent about two hours, uh, nah, maybe an hour. We couldn't find those birds. And so we said, all right, well, let's get back in the truck, drive all the way around and get up on that other side so we can glass down on it. And we're going through these little villages. And it was just, I mean, I'm talking little round houses with grass huts, just like you might see a National Geography or something. And there wasn't no water. There wasn't no, no running water. There wasn't no electricity. It's like I remember everybody going everywhere, going to the grocery store. Or going pushing something, pushing firewood, laundry. The women walk around with these 100-pound sacks on their heads, you know, without no hands holding them. Just, you know, you see, I mean, just imagine just walking around with 50 to 100 pounds of sack of grain on top of your head and balancing it and walking. That's how they carry stuff over there. And, and like I kept seeing all these little boys and stuff pushing these big jugs of water and wheelbarrows. Not even these big contractor wheelbarrows. Just little old bitty Walmart-looking wheelbarrows. Well, they've been going to the river to get water for washing or cooking or whatever they do with it, you know. And that's just kind of the environment we were in. So we, we I mean, we're attracting a little bit of attention. And um, 
my guide knows some people, and of course our scout knows everybody because he's from right there. We we walked down, and it was easy for me. I'm just carrying a shotgun with my ammo belt. Oh, Jake Latondra's now, let me tell you. He's a stout guy. Any of you guys ever walk around with a 35-millimeter camera and a 100-millimeter lens or 400-millimeter lens knows what kind of a pain in the butt it is to walk with it. Jake's carrying that, plus he's got his big red and a big lens and a five-foot tripod, and, man, you pick it up, Rocky, it's 70 pounds. But it's not the kind of 70 pounds you can pick up like a Yeti cooler. It's it's an awkward 70 pounds. And man, he, he just, he, he walked a million miles with that thing on his shoulder. So he's walking, and we're going, and we get up there, and we start to glass. And, you know, we've been glassing and glassing and glassing, and, <laughs> and the outfitter goes, oh, I, I he said, I'm, I'm afraid we're probably, probably here too late. No telling where these birds are now. You know, they've been here at 8 o'clock, probably feeding, doing their things. Now they've probably flown off to the river or done something. And, you know, the whole time Jake's just doing Jake stuff, setting up his camera and, you know, taking B-roll. And finally goes, is that them on the other bank? Jake's looking through his big lens. We look through the binoculars, and there they are. Two pairs of little Big Mac-sized pygmy geese sitting in the shadows and the lily pads over there, about 100 meters from where we'd been standing looking for them. So now we sit there and we devise a plan, like, what are we going to do? we got to go all the way back over there. That particular place they are, we got to ask permission. Can we go on to it? Can we do this? I mean, what are we going to do? And just like that, like they read our minds, they picked up and they flew straight across the slough to us, and they landed about a quarter mile below us. Right there. And that was it. I mean, now look, it's more like just walking down a uh, a levee or a hillside. This was walking down Scrabble. I mean, rocks sliding and tumbling down and just, just real loose substrate. But we got down to them. And, and, you know, several of these kind of birds, you'll never shoot a pygmy goose over decoys. You won't go out and set up a mojo and set up decoys. And sit there and wait and call them in. They're not mallards. They're not pintails. They're not green-winged teal. They're little bitty pygmy geese. And it's breeding season. They're paired off. There were two adult pair that, that weren't all together as four, but were traveling as two pairs, kind of, you know, staying about 30, 40 yards apart. And so, you know, like a lot of places you'll go to hunt, uh, I can think of Peru, I can think of some other places, some of these species you kind of have to spot and stalk. And so in that way, it it was kind of like the whole event from the time we left to the time we bagged them. It was like a big game hunt. I mean, you might as well have been out there chasing something else, Cape Buffalo or, 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 or Impalas or something. I mean, because you had to find them. And, and finding two, finding four little Big Macs in a mile and a half slough, uh, flat full of lily pads, was like finding literally the proverbial needle in a haystack. But we found them, and then it claimed together. We got them, and when we shot, Boy, did the villagers come out. I mean, my birds were laying there. Randy's went over across the way, and they, we had to wait for a boat to come. Somebody had to go borrow a boat and get a boat and pile it over there and find it and everything else. And the whole time, villagers are just coming out. And uh, you can imagine loud noises in Chula, Mississippi. It just, you know, everybody comes out to see what's going on. Well, same thing. <laughs> it, was very, it, it, it was very interesting. It, it, it really was very interesting. And, and again, uh I was telling somebody this morning why I like to travel with Jake. Jake gets it, the way he sees the world through the lens, what he sees about me or my story and where we are. 
I, I, Jake and I talk a little bit at dinner, but, but man, we're out in the field. Jake's doing Jake stuff, and I'm doing Ramsey stuff, and it just it works so good. But Jake just sees things, you know. And so as these kids were coming up, man, Jake is, wow, it's like he'd known them his whole life. He's interacting with them. He's talking to them. And, and the one thing that struck me so profoundly about that morning is, is uh, they the boat went out, got those little birds, and brought them back. And I shook them off and got them dry and took them up there to Jake's. So we could do a little B-roll and talk about them. And he was already, he had a whole cluster of kids around him. I mean, there must have been a dozen kids clamoring to Jake, you know, like a Pied Piper. And, uh, and he was talking to them and, and just really interacting with them so nicely. And uh, they just, man, they just, they just ate it up. And so we taught him visit. But what, what was so interesting to me, and I'll never forget this, is, you know, here we had traveled literally halfway across the world, not to shoot spiral horns or whatever like that, but just these little birds to experience uh, that part of Africa. And we were right in these people's backyards. And those children came up very polite, very nice, very poor, very, very nice people. And they came up and, 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 and wanted to see these birds, wanted to touch them, wanted to know about them, right there in their backyards. It's like they, they they were oblivious to it. We come all the way across the world, putting our hands on them, and, and this was right there in their backyard. But it was, it was like this real, I don't know, just shared moment. I mean, just imagine you come home with, with a limit of whatever ducks, and your next-door neighbor kids, they don't hunt or something, and, and you're over there teaching them about it. But it was just kind of interesting to me. I'll never forget it, you know, taking a knee and, and just sitting there and talking to these kids about these birds that live right there in their backyards. And, it may, you know, it's just a part of their environment. It's just invisible to them. And, um, but that was, a, that was a really, really cool moment. And then just later that afternoon, we had a little time before dark, and to find the Cape Teal, Another teal. Those birds, they specialize. They don't. They use brackish water. And we were there in Zulu land, and we were just an hour from the Indian Ocean. That 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 old oxbow had been formed off this river. That river ran south about another hundred kilometers and dumped into the Indian Ocean. And so the operator said, "Hey, we got a few hours to kill. Would you like to go see if we can put our hands on some of those Cape teal because they they hang out right there in that marsh grass. It think about." Real short grass, knee high or less, which you'd expect to see clapper rails in. That's where these birds hang out. And and so and we found a pair. And I, and as we pulled up, it was just this little, these little round houses, with grass roof huts, and about a dozen kids, just acting like rambunctious kids out in the front yard. We stopped and talked to them, and one of them pointed. Walked over the hillside and looked down at the at the bay. Boom! There were a pair of teal. Randy went and my my guest went in and, and uh, my client went in and managed to close the deal. And the whole time, Jake and I just sat there and talked to all the children. And then the adults came out. And it was just what they were trying to sell us these little these little grass mats, these little hand woven mats they made. It looked like you know string running the length of it on the left and the right, and then little reeds it looked, looked like roll-up blinds you know like a little fabric blind or something but it wasn't it and it's all oh, three dollar you, you put the mama you put the daddy you put the baby it was just grass mats three bucks i didn't buy one but 
I'm like, why would they make these? I mean, they're out in the middle of nowhere. And so I asked the outfit when he came up and said, hey, what's with these mats? Everybody's trying to sell us these mats. And he goes, well, Ramsey, that's that's what they sleep on. I said, huh? He goes, yeah, these houses, they ain't got no furniture. They got mats in them. That's what they sleep on. And so they sell them and sell them to other villagers, and they're just saying, hey, maybe you want one. And I don't. But, you know, it, it, was, it was very interesting, like the way uh, the young women, they all had this red, like this, 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 this reddish face, like, this, like, they had, like they put on too much rouge. And um, I didn't say nothing, you know, just I noticed it. But what it was, it was like clay, some kind of clay, a particular kind of clay that all the Zulu women, young women, will put on their faces like a mud bath or moisturizer or something, you know, like women put on around here. It was just fascinating, very, very fascinating. All and, right, so this is this is one I want to hear about, though. Forrest, that was the first trip for Forrest over there. <laughs> Boy, without a first trip for walk, walk, all right. walk, walk me through that, what it was like in forest shoes, seeing all that for the first time. Uh, well, he didn't see all the birds. i tell you what we did, Rocky. We went, we took a family vacation. I'd been before. We did a plains game hunt. You know, the spiral horns and zebras and stuff like that. And uh, Anita and I had gone on my 50th birthday. It ain't cheap, but it ain't it ain't crazy expensive. And uh, we saved our money, and we decided, you know, when we went back, we wanted to take the family. Break, break, I think I think everybody, kids, I think every kid in America ought to have to go to a country like Africa. And I don't mean Joburg or the city. I mean off in the sticks like I was talking about. Everybody ought to have to do that. Because you'll come home, and you'll thank the Lord Almighty for everything you've got if you go off into Africa. I'm telling you. It it it's a, it's a, it's just how it is, and but it's wonderful too. It's fun. It's it's like Disneyland for hunters. There's just critters running everywhere, and and you know we we went on a, just a, a cull hunt. Well, we, you know, I, y'all know me. I'm not a trophy hunter. I don't collect birds. I collect experiences. I chase pygmy geese because I get to go see a part of Africa you ain't gonna see unless you're chasing pygmy geese, oxbows. You see what I'm saying? That's my thing. It's just, it's just all the nooks and crannies, and I just love it. So we went. We went and took took Forrest and and Parker. Duncan left. Bless his heart. Left left uh, for Okinawa the day we left for for Africa. Just poor timing. He and I had to make it up some kind of how. But we went to Africa, and, and it was a quote of the century. I told Forrest. I said, "Look, we ain't hunting trophies." You know, we 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 we. Uh, I'm not. I'm gonna tell you right now. For the money they call for, what? We, we, just think of this, Rocky. We were targeting 120 inch, 130 inch whitetails, not 170, 180 inch. Okay, that that's just that was where we were going with this thing. We weren't we weren't going after the uh, the sad daddies that cost a fortune. We were just going to shoot and have a good time. I said, you know, but I want to make sure Forrest was cool. I said, hey, we're gonna do this. We're gonna have a good time. We're gonna shoot a lot. He he looked at me and said, Daddy. They're all just spikes. I could care less. And I thought about that a minute. I said, well, that's a good frame of mind. They're all just sp-. He said, everything over there is a spike. He said, some are <laughs> longer and curlier than others. <laughs> and with oh, that frame man. of mind, with that frame of mind, I was wondering if he brought enough bullets. And uh, 
he he had a great time. What we would do in the mornings is uh, he and I would split up most mornings. You know, he he their truck would go off every way with his guy, and I'd go with mine. Anita ride with me or him. Parker ride with me or him. We just we just had a great time visiting, mixing, and matching like that. And then towards the end, he and I hunted together, and it was just it was just so much fun. You know, it, it was just you, you know if if you're if you're not a hunter now, Anita, Miss Anita was not a hunter when we got married. She'd never killed an animal till about three years ago. First time we went, I coached her a little bit on shooting a rifle, and she's a good shot. Um, she shot three animals the first time and three or four animals this time. And, and, you know, she, she had a great time. Parker shot her a beautiful Impala and, and, but forest just was like a drift net going through there. And, and we decided, you know, uh, I decided as a daddy, Forrest had done real good in school. I couldn't be prouder. He, he, he's everything I've ever wanted of a child. Likewise, from other two kids, you know, he, he, I got three good kids. I've been blessed. Uh, that I didn't, I didn't have me as a child. You know, they they they've done good in school. They've applied themselves. They all three work as hard as Hebrew slaves. And 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 I, you know, I I told Anita, I said, when we get over here, you know, uh, I know Forrest, he wants to shoot a zebra. You know, and and I I said, you know, there, there ain't no such thing as a cool zebra. So I'm gonna let him shoot a zebra. And 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 the and the upgrade the difference in in like a cool kudu and a nice kudu, and I don't mean a record book kudu. I mean just a nice kudu. It, it's really not that terribly much. And and so we and, and in a gims buck, I knew two animals he wanted most was a zebra and a gims buck. And uh, and he 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 didn't just shoot that, that gims buck he shot. Really truly was uh, a really really nice animal. It was really really a nice animal. And and the kudu he shot was a, was a good one. And um, a really good one, and I, me personally, I was just man. I'm telling you what, I I just I was just pulling the trigger. I had a great time myself. We 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 brought a bunch of horns back, and uh, are going to bring a bunch of horns back. And we don't do we don't do we don't mount animals. We just do horn mounts, you know, stuff like that, and make beautiful little mounts doing that. And probably, uh, I mean, boy, you let the girls get into the mix conversation. They'll probably bring back enough flat skins to carpet our house. And uh, but it was a it was a really really it was Rocky. It was just that vacation, you know. As we grew up, as I as my kids grew up, just to set the record straight here, you know, we we didn't really we felt bad. We didn't vacation. Nate and I worked. And 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 um, maybe when they were children, we we went down before Memorial Day to the beach once once or twice. I think one time we went to Disney on just a little little junky trip like that. Else we didn't vacation ever. We we just we worked and 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 we did stuff and we put our money places and and that's just what we did. And and now you know we were able to. Uh, swing a little old trip like this, and it really was for our family anyway. Uh, my kids didn't get up; they didn't grow grow up going to the beach and going on fishing charters and and doing a lot of stuff, you know. And, and I know I travel a lot and get to see a bunch, but it is work related. It's it's really not just vacation. My clients' vacation; I don't vacation when I do this, even though it's fun. I'm not complaining. And uh, so it was a big deal for us to get to do this, and 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 it was just seven days with my family nobody else in camp 
except, you know, the host, what not to cook. And we had a really good time. And the crazy thing was we were scheduled to fly from Port Elizabeth to Joburg on, I think, the 1st of June or something. And we were going to kick around, you know, at the airport for a little bit. Then I was going to say goodbye. They were going to fly home. And then I was going to stay at a hotel and pick up with the bird hunters the next day. And we get to, thank gosh, this was us and not our clients. Thank gosh, this was us. We get to the airport in Port Elizabeth down on Eastern Cape about four hours early. It's a tiny airport like Jackson, Mississippi. And we get there, and we're real early, you know, and need to go to ask something like, when's the ticket counter going to open? When's something? And the lady goes, oh, y'all have guns? And yes, ma'am. Oh, well, we don't fly guns. We booked a ticket on something called Mango Airlines. They don't fly guns. They don't fool with firearms. Oh, well, that's now's a good time to find out. We got a connection to make. They got a connection to make. And, of course, we bought all our tickets on Air Miles. You know, great. Uh, all our tickets bought on Air Miles, except for that little ticket there. The big ticket made on Air Miles. I don't know if you ever try to change an international ticket, but you might as well just buy a new one. They don't like that kind of stuff, especially when you buy them on Air Miles. So we go over to South Africa Airlines, and, oh, of course, we, we fly, but our flight doesn't leave until 4. We're supposed to leave at, like, 11. This flight leaves at 4. And the international boarding time for their flight home is, like, an hour later. And by the time we get there, they got 30, 45 minutes. We're like, oh, my gosh. So we end up spending eight hours at this little airport. And we've all talked about it since. It was awesome. I was sweating over astronomical expenses unexpected. And uh, didn't need the stress, didn't need to spend the money. And uh, But we ate pizza. It was good pizza. It was good pizza. And drank a few beers and had some coffees and just sat there for eight hours talking. There wasn't anything else to do but just sit there at the table and visit like families are supposed to do. So we get to Joburg and get down to baggage, and before we could even make it to baggage from the domestic air, you know, we're just coming on a domestic flight. Before we can make it to baggage, our, our baggage is already rolling off. And we look at our watch and we go, I've got 40 minutes till boarding time. Y'all, it's tough, but I mean, and so Forrest and I had to go get our guns unchecked. And I went and talked to some hunter. We all went in, and they said, oh, yeah, go ahead and let him go first. So Forrest jumped in and got his gun, and I said, y'all roll. Well, when they stepped out, bumped into somebody we knew that runs a VIP service. And uh, they, they had a little bed and breakfast. And, man, if, if I ever send anybody to Africa, I know Ryan does the same thing. There's just, there's just one little bed and breakfast, and it's just it's worth every penny you pay. A little bit more in a hotel. But, man, they just take – it just happened to bump into them. And, and Cedric goes, well, let me help you. So while I'm sitting there waiting to get my gun, they're up and gone. They, they all go up, and, and there's a little bit of a sorting going on because, you know, they called and tried to change. Manita called and tried to – and Miss Cherie called, and they tried to work the airfare for the next day and everything else, and that was the only thing that complicated it. But 
So by the time I get my gun step out into the foyer, there's old Cedric. He gives me a double thumbs up. I go, what's up, Cedric? He goes, your family made it, mine. They're, they're good to go. They're going to make the flight. I said, wow. So I take off and go up there to Delta Counter just in time, just as they're that last bag's rolling on. I happen to come up there and we hug and say goodbye. But it was so abrupt. We'd had this great time, this once-in-a-lifetime vacation. We spent eight great hours visiting and talking, and and then they were gone. Just like that, boom, they were gone. And, man, I ain't going to lie to you. It was sad. It was a very, very sad feeling. It just, just, uh, just like that, they were gone, boom, gone. And uh, we'd already figured they were going to stay another night. We're going to eat dinner and visit and do some stuff, and boom, they were gone. But it worked out good because we saved a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> rescheduling fees, I was glad of that. And um and then the next day picked up with, with, with Jake and him. But Rocky, it was it was it was an amazing an amazing time. And and I and I just go back to any time any time you can go anywhere and do anything and spend with your family. And the beautiful part about that, you know what? Your phone don't work out in the field most of the day the wi-fi in the lodge worked kind of sort of everywhere else you had to talk the old-fashioned way and sit there and play on your phone you, you know and that that just really so we got into a space where we really got to connect as a family and it was just it was wonderful it was it was so much fun uh the memories the stories the hits the misses it was just it was just, it was a ball. It, it was so much fun. It, I, I had so much fun. And, and, I, and, you know, I tell anybody, any kind of hunting vacation ain't cheap. You know, when people think Africa, you think, you think six-figure hunts. And No, man, you don't have to be a Trump or, or have to be a blue blood to go to Africa and have a good time. You really don't. Those, those Plains Games hunts, um, call me. Or call Ryan Bassham, and and I'll just refer you over to Ryan Bassham, and all I can do is tell you everything I know about it, what what to ask for, what to look for, where the pitfalls are. But but it's, you know, I I think it's 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 the kind of vacation if it's your cup of tea. It's the kind of vacation that anybody middle class like myself can save for, and and go and do. It, it it was a, it was a really really cool place to go. Africa Africa is an amazing country, Rocky. It, it's it's a and and for me, what it represents in the world of wing shooting and waterfowl, it it, uh, it rivals Argentina and Mexico. I said that last podcast. It truly rivals that in terms of volume. It, it's I'd, I'd I'd say on good days it's even better than Mexico, and 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 it, and it certainly is good as. as average Argentina uh, and in terms of diversity it's really good and in terms of importability it's perfect that that whole country of South Africa it, it is for a century or more has developed a made an industry and a business of hunting hospitality tour guides service it, the, the whole tourism thing is just thriving there and uh, it's competitive, so it's cheap. And and but but Forrest had a good time, buddy. I'm gonna tell you, it, it was. Uh, I, I really didn't realize what a big deal it was for him. 
even though it was just spikes. He had a great time. He he really truly had. And man, the first day I think I shot one animal. He shot four or five. You know he he was he was he was going through them lickety split, man. Anything that hold anything that hold still long enough it would get would get the axe. We had a great time, Rocky. So changing pace a little bit. So I I don't know why, but on social media when you get tagged in a post for some reason. It pulls up in my news feed. I don't know if it's because I starred you off, you know what I'm talking about, see these things first or whatever, but I saw Martha and the gang down in Argentina has been making a ton of posts, I, and it may be because I follow Martha, too, social media-wise. But it's oh, been she's a, a lot of, uh, I don't want to say it's uh, a lot of guys trying to make you feel guilty because you're not there. Because I guess they've been doing so well. Everybody, been, Rocky, this is the year for Argentina, and, and Argentina's always good. I, I would, I would tell anybody, you know, Argentina is the top, the world's top hunt. Just if you don't cross international borders to go, but to one place, go to Argentina, and and it really, uh, we've got a lot of clients down there. Really. Uh, three or four lodges going right now. We got three lodges full practically for the entire year. Martha does a real good job, but but you know, we've had clients at Rio Salado, where I took Jake last year. We've got clients at La Paz, which is a combo ducks, does pigeons per Dees. You know, we've got we've got our poacher boy hunt, which is with Las Flores and everybody, everybody is is zinging them like like nobody's business and and, and words gotten out, I guess social media and just everything we've done are Really, people coming home and talking. Uh, boy, how there are people are people piling in for 2020. It, it, it's just uh, remember last year was a drought. There, at Rio Salado, it was a drought. It was a drought in a lot of parts of Buenos Aires. It was a drought over there across the river in Entre Rios. Well, you know, the upside of a drought is those soils oxidize. Those ephemeral wetlands uh, can breathe a little bit. They start growing their basis vegetation. Which when you put water back on it is good habitat, and that's exactly what's happened. That 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 uh that real wild remote place is off the chain. It 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 is uh, probably better right now than at any time I've ever set foot in the marsh there, and it's already the place I want my ashes scattered. But this is the year that it is it is just off the chain. It it's it just. Unbelievable down at down at Rios, uh, Las Flores. Every single day. Uh, this morning, three clients shot their fifty duck limit, so one hundred fifty birds in twenty eight minutes. You know, it's off the chain. And over at La Paz, which is really one of our big hunts because it's not a duck hunt; it's a combo: ducks and doves and decoy pigeons, parakeets. You know, there's plenty of them around. For these, uh, the bunches down there now, you know, they're, they're they're not they're not they're not fishermen. But if you want to go go in Dorado fishing, a lot of our guys do. Take a day and go go load the boat with go in Dorado. It's just a big combo adventure. And and what I do like about that hunt, I love the duck hunt. Y'all know that I love the duck hunt. But it becomes a little monotonous, you know. If you were down there for a week or ten days or more, it becomes a little monotonous. And the fun thing about a combo hunt is every single hunt, even if you're shooting ducks again, it's different. 
they shoot little tiny potholes. They shoot they shoot rice fields. Uh, that particular place, it got uh, this yeah this year finally. There's a there's a, um, a marsh area. It's only accessible by horses. That's a big adventure. You meet you meet your gaucho, you meet your meet your bird boys. Um, crack a dawn right before daylight, and you saddle up onto a gaucho saddle, and, and you walk in for about thirty minutes through a marsh. No way a man can walk that. No way. No way. A horse can. And you get to where you're going, and you slide off into your blind, and you got to go park your horses behind you, and uh, you start shooting ducks and horseback ride out. It's just a cool adventure. It's just a real cool adventure, but yeah, they're 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 having a good time. But there's plenty for me. I'm I'm I, I leave tomorrow, and I'm man, I, I tell you, I'm I'm fired up. I, I I'm really fired up to get down there this year. I'm very excited. We got uh, Jake couldn't make it, but one of his cameramen is coming. We're going we're going to film a week at Rio Salado, then we're going to jump down to Las Flores and film for a week. I've got some really good clients coming in. Some of them have come good close personal friends. And some of them I just know a little bit, but I'm I'm really uh, I'm really really excited. I, I can't impress upon you how excited I am uh, for this hunt. You know, sometimes when I leave on a hunt, it's just going like going to the office. But this this year, for some reason, I'm just really I'm vibrating for it, Rocky. I'm I'm just I'm ready for it. Well, I have got to jump out in just a second, but I wanted to say this before our before we ended today. You are going to be on Foulfront podcast with uh, Ben Page. Yeah, how do you know that? I, I saw where Ben and I have become friends. He, he's a great guy, Good. great podcast. And uh, anyway, I, I saw where he had announced in the Foulfront group that you were coming on and recording with him before you left out today. I did, he did. He called. He called. Uh, I believe yesterday and asked about Africa and asked about some stuff. We've, we've been, we've been kind of busy with, with, uh, a lot of folks are doing podcasts like that, Rocky and, and, uh, radio shows. Uh, we've talked to a couple of radio outdoor radio programs lately, just telling them stories about duck hunting, but it ain't the same as meeting with my buddy Rocky and talking to, you know, kind of having my, my weekly fireside talk and, uh, building on it and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, me, I'm always He's a great to guy. Tell a story. Good. Where are they from? Man. Nebraska? Uh, yes, that's right. That is correct. Man, the great guys. You just, uh, great, great Midwestern guys and you, you'll have a good time. I, and, and, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people say that, uh, that we are enemies because we're doing the same thing. You know how you get competitive against, but man, you know what? I listen to a lot of these different, a lot of different podcasts. Ben and them run, do a great job. Really, really good job. I mean, he's always sending me texts. Hey, you need to try this. It'll increase the quality or try, you know, this, or I'll send him something. He's oh, that's a good great to hear, guy, man. I don't look, I don't look at, uh, I, you know, it's funny. Cause I don't look at, I don't look at, at Duck South as having, or end of line podcast as having a competitor. I really don't, you know, and I do listen to a lot of podcasts, but I always listen to yours. And I, in fact, it's about all I can do to. I'm behind right now. I've gotten to where I have to start downloading them some and listening to them on flights and all. Let me let me just say this: I know them boys ain't listening to me, but let me tell them, 
Heffinator, Warden, and Redemption. Man, those are epic. Th those are epic. I, I, I listen to them every week. Uh, Rob is just that guy. I, I just <laughs> don't care what Rob's going to talk about. It's always going to be good. But, boy, that Warden podcast and, and, and uh, Foles, they, they, that, those, are some, those are some great stories. Those are some good boys, and I, I'm really enjoying uh, listening to those two podcasts. Probably, probably more than any I've ever listened to. I, I find it very informative. I find it uh, scary. You know, Rocky. I mean, you realize a lot of a lot of folks out there duck hunting just don't get it. They they think it's because this guy's a guide. They think Rocky. Y'all been doing these podcasts now for weeks, for months. I shared a post the other day to our webpage. Uh, Brennan Hudson just had a picture about tagging or something. I, I shared it to getducks.com, and oh, my gosh, the replies. They, yeah. they don't get it. They don't get it. This, this, this is a freaking federal statute. It's you got to tag your birds. you got to sort your bird. It, 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 it's a rule. Yeah, I don't like the rule. I'm just, I'm just sharing. Hey, it's a good idea to tag these birds. And man, people don't, they don't get because they've never heard of it. They don't. They're, they're, and and it, it's such great information. And, and I'm, I'm, and and I'm gonna say this. I, I I love about your podcast, Rocky. You you've you've created a conversation. You you with tagging and with laws and with people and stories. It, it it's created a good conversation that I think was. I think it was time to start having these conversations. You know, it, it, it's a. Uh, but anyway, I'm. I'm. Uh, I hope you warn those guys, Ben Page, and, and I tried to warn them. I said, "Look, Ben, you know, you hand me the mic, I'm gonna walk across the stage and start talking." It's just in my name. Rocky knows that. You know. I tell but, you what, anyway. it was perfect, perfect today with me being on the road and loud vehicles and this and that so I, and sitting here listening to you while i'm driving man that that was awesome to hear hear that with with forrest and then with you and you and ryan and jake uh, it's almost like i was listening to a podcast while i was driving well, I, i'll tell you I, I it's all about the people rocky the I, I, life is about people it, it's just at the end of the day and 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 man you know I, i'm so blessed to have fell into the people I have, yourself, uh, but also Jake, you know, Ryan Bass, I am, Ryan, Ryan is such a smart and intelligent and intuitive guy, and, and it's just, it's just, I really, it, it's just, it's just it's for me, you know, so much, so much of my working life, like the next couple of weeks, you know, I'm not down there hunting, I'm down there with clients, so it's a lot of client entertainment, taking care of some of their their needs and stuff going on like that. It's work. You know, 5 o'clock in the morning, everybody else pulling on waders. Well, I am too, unless somebody needs something. And I'm the last guy to put on waders because i got to go do something or, or help them out or whatever. And that's fine. That's what I love to do. But, man, to be around, to, 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 when, you, when, you, when you've got the right hunting partners and travel companions, your kids. And I, I've always said, you know, the, the, best, uh, best, the best hunting partners are the ones you raise. Um, you know, it really makes life better. You just get to be yourself and, and, and you grow. You know, the discussions, the things you talk about, the things you share, it makes you a better person beyond just 
shooting ducks or bowling or whatever you're doing. One last topic for you, Rocky, two seconds. I, I, I was listening to y'all talk yesterday about last meals. I, boy, I love that conversation. First, the first thing that popped in my mind was barbecue sticky chicken, I call it, potato salad and baked beans. I don't know that I waste my last meal on it, but that's, that's all I could think about. And when you travel to other countries, the food's good. Africa food's pretty darn good. Not like Argentina or Azerbaijan or some of these other places, but it's pretty good, but it ain't home. It's not good old southern soul food. When I come home, I mean, I've eaten BLTs and homemade hamburgers and homemade pizza and all that good stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. But, you know, last meal, oh, I'd, that'd be a, that'd be a, I don't know what I, I, you'd have to ask me the morning of my last day, what what do you feel like eating? Probably going to be, probably going to be barbecue. But we got a, we got a family tradition. You know, Father's Day was last Sunday. We got a family tradition. It ties into people. It ties into family and traveling to good friends. I'll just leave you with this. You know what our family tradition is? On Father's Day, and also on my birthday, I cook. That's what I want for Father's Day. I, I want I want to cook a family favorite. This year it was barbecue chicken, potato salad, and baked beans. And I want to cook for my family. What I really want, I just want to beat over my family. And all I could think, I was thinking about sticky chicken and all that good stuff when y'all were talking about that, you and Bill, and um, boy, Lusco's be hard to beat for a last meal. Y'all were talking about that, and, I, and all I could think is, you know, if I could have one last meal, I'd want to be at Willowbrake or at my kitchen table, and I'd want to have that same vibe with my family and friends that I had, you know, like at the time we were stuck in the airport down in Eastern Cape. That, that's just, that. that's what I want. That's what I, I value so much in life is just my family and my friends. And, and you know, who cares what we're eating at that point? You know? Anyway, thank you, Rocky. I enjoyed it. Oh, man, I had a ball. I appreciate you being able to do it while I was on the road. <laughs> anyway, I enjoyed it, Ramsey. Thank you for being here and telling those stories. And we want to thank all of you that listened to this edition the end of the line podcast powered by DuckSouth.com. <laughs>